You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Father, I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, and in the power of his Spirit, that as we come to the Holy Word of God, that you would shape us and that you would make us more like your Son, that we would be sanctified in truth, that your Word is truth, and Lord, that your Spirit would right now just as we're sitting, reflecting on the fact that you one day will give us rest, that you one day will, you will come and you will bring with you those who have gone ahead and that you will have this great reunion in the sky with all those we've lost, with all those of the, of the faith in Christ. And that day we long for, we long for freedom from this, this, the curse of sin. We long for freedom from death and, and for eternity. And so until that day, Lord, may your word sharpen us, may your spirit fill us, may the love of Christ compel us. Please help me to feed your flock. It is your sheep, Lord Jesus. They are your little lambs, and I am just one of them. And I probably, just like the Apostle Paul could write, I am the chief sinner. And so help me to feed your sheep well, so that they are encouraged, and so that we walk in the way it is worthy of the gospels. In his name we pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. All right, and so if you're new, you're off the hook here, all right? So you guys, you're off. But for the rest of you who were here last week, we'll test, we'll pop quiz, and, you know, and let me just kind of give you a heads up. First service stunk. They failed. So usually they beat y'all. I ain't gonna lie, because you get an extra hour of sleep, and you guys should be awake. So we're gonna review last week, all right? I'm giving you a heads up. I've woken you up. We had three words, right? They all began with G. What were they? Man, y'all killed them already. Let's see if you can part, part one of the test, A. All right, let's see how you do part two. Okay, so we, we're, our, our idea is we are here, we gather and we grow and then we go. What do we gather for? Oh, okay, that's a C minus. What do we gather for? We gather to equip, whether it's kids, middle school, community groups, this time we gather to equip. We grow, and what's our paradigm for growth? Specs, all right? We got scripture and prayer and engage with the culture for the gospel in community, and we're, we're stewarding resources, right? We're, that's that's kind of what a follower growth looks like. And then what do, what do we go and do? We be the church. The end game is not here. The end game is out there, right? Very good. B plus. Give y'all a B plus. You know, the C kind of balanced y'all out. All right. Every family has rules. Unwritten, written, you know, put your shoes in the corner, put the cap on the toothpaste, put the toilet seat down, whatever it is, right? In our family, one of the rules, and this is my wife's pet peeve, right? And I'm probably guilty, is when the trash can is filled, take it out, right? Very simple. The problem is I have three boys, right? And, and I am a boy, technically. I'm only 5'6", so I'm not qualified as man, right? So... <laughs> Uh, but so we got four boys and here's the rule ladies just so you understand I'm giving you a little psychology of man the way man works they see trash can there's it's 10 feet to the garage what is easier to push down the trash or walk 10 feet Every time a man, a boy, it doesn't matter how old he is, right out of the womb, it does not matter, he will go for the trash can. Every time. I can fit one more thing. 
Just so you know. So it has nothing to do with they don't love you, they don't listen to you. It is part of the fall. It's just, a, it's just the way we are made. And so we will always push it down as just one more thing. But, but the rule is, trash can full, take it to the garage. Right? It's a rule. One of my pet peeves is, kids, after you eat cereal, rinse off your bowl and put it in the dishwasher. Because every parent knows that Rice Krispies, after two hours, turn into cement. And, and you have to just throw the bowl out at that point. There's nothing you can do. So just rinse off the Rice Krispies or Frosted Flakes, all those good cereals. They just, you know, it becomes cement, yet you ruin a bowl. Put it in the dishwasher. That's my rule. All right? Unwritten. And, and the rule of your family, part of our DNA, is that we root for the eagles. You either choose to root for the eagles or you move. So there is not an option here. This is the family identity. That is our rules. We have them. You have them. And who else has them is, is the church of Jesus has them. Right? The family of God. What the New Testament says is that we are the, the family of God. We are, in one, and we're going to see it, we are the household of God. That's us. The church. And so if someone ever says, hey, you guys have a beautiful church. Your response ought to be not thank you. It ought to be, really, who did you meet? Because what they're saying typically, and I get it, and I usually am not so scrappy, is this is just a, this is concrete and sheetrock. You guys are the church. Right? And so I, I want us to grasp that. And as the church, God has some house rules. Things that, that make this deal function the way it should. Trash can, empty, dishes in the dishwasher, shoes in the corner, whatever it is. He has some rules that make this deal move, right? And so we're going to spend the next couple months studying a book of the Bible um, that, that really we've entitled House Rules because it's, it's those things that God kind of has given us to make this deal work as a family so that we can be the church. So if you have a that you're like, I don't know where that is. It's right before 2 Timothy, <laughs> okay? If you don't know where that is, all right, well... There's a, there should be a Bible in front of you. If, you. if you want to grab that, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home. We'll put it on the screen. Um, don't be afraid of the table of contents. I mean, if I said find Haggai, 90% of the people in this, in this church couldn't find Haggai, so don't feel guilty. I think it's on page 991 in the Bibles in front of you. 991. Um, and, and this is a book, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, um, that, that's just, it's just precious. And, and again, if you're new to our church, here's, here's kind of what you can expect every week. We're going to open the scripture, we're going to study it together, and then we're going to have a time of worship after, so to reflect, to respond, to let the Spirit of God speak, and then we go, and then we go be the church. That's what, kind of what we're doing. So we're going to look at this book over the next 17 weeks. The way I've broke it down is every week is one rule. There's one main idea, there's one thing that we're looking for in this family to make it work, okay? And we printed up a bunch of booklets Problem is, the printer broke on Friday and it needed a new part. So we only got like 600 printed. So like you, some of you lucky few that got here early, that is your reward, right? You get here early, you get a book. But we will have more next week. These booklets have where we're going every week, right? It has next week's reading. It has a place for notes. It has background. It has questions for your, you know, community groups if you have them. More next week, Lord willing, if the printer, the copier gets fixed. Um, but it's just a resource for you guys to, during, to put it in your Bible, take it out next week. And then when we're done this series, man, you'll have a whole book of 1 Timothy and a little note-taking deal, and you can put it on the shelf and bring it back out. 
Um, but here's my goal for the day. All right, two things. Number one, I want to get the background of this book kind of around our, you know, get our arms around it. I want you to understand who wrote the book and why and what's going on. Because when you understand the background, you understand really the, uh, the flow of the book. Some people have a hard time when they come to the scripture because they just kind of open it and they're like the Holy Spirit flip and they kind of flip it open and it ends up in like Ezekiel or something and they have no clue what it's about. But when you get the background, it makes more sense. It's just like I got an email the other day. It said, lunch is good. But what does that mean? It could mean a thousand things. It could mean... Lunch is the favorite, my favorite meal of the day. It could mean, hey, I just went to the Golden Corral and lunch was good. I mean, you know, it's all sorts of things. But if you go look at the thread on the email that right before I sent an email to this person, lunch, question mark. We have real deep emails on this staff, right? And the answer was, lunch is good. If you know what's going on, it makes sense. If you don't, you're kind of like, what does that mean? And so I want you to know what is going on in this little letter, okay? And then we're going to look at the first rule of the house, okay? So here's, that's where we're going. 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 11. And most of the background information can be covered right in the first two verses. Let me, let me unpack them. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of our God, of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So who is the author? Very clear. Paul. The Apostle Paul. He is now the Apostle Paul. Previously, he was Saul. You remember the story? He was a super Pharisee. He was super zealous for the law. He was a persecutor of the church. He actually was responsible for one of the first martyrs in the church. And he thought he was doing God a favor. He thought, man, this, this church of Jesus thing, it's against God, so I'm going to crush it. And so he sets out to crush it, and he's on the way to Damascus to do some more crushing. And God shows up, and he realizes that Jesus is not opposed to God. Jesus is actually God. And I'm opposing Jesus, so I'm opposing God. And so he becomes a Christian at that point. He becomes an apostle all right, an apostle is just meaning one sent, but he's one of the official apostles, the early leadership and the early church that kind of planted and led. And he goes on multiple missionary journeys, spreading the gospel primarily to the Gentiles. Right? And, and what's interesting in the text is he says, I am an apostle by command. Don't think for a minute that, that Paul was out kind of searching for God and looking for God. He was actually opposed to God. And God chose him by command to be and to change into the great apostle, right? It's almost like he came in kicking and screaming um, because he was not looking for a savior. He thought he was good to go. But now he is a man who is in authority and he's actually still under authority because he is sent by God to be an apostle in the early church. Who is the recipient? He tells you, to Timothy. My true child in the faith. Who is Timothy? Uh, Paul, in his second missionary journey, around 50 AD, goes to a little town called Lystra and Derby, And there he runs into this real sweet older lady and this sweet mama who has a sweet son. He's about a, probably 16, 17 years old. This lady was a Jewish woman who married a Greek man. And he was not a Christian, and she was a follower of Jesus. 
right? Some of you have been there, right? You get the mom who brings the kids to church, and the dad's doing what? Playing golf. Watching full. That's the situation. This young guy, Timothy, has a Christian mom, a non-Christian dad. Paul shows up and, and sees that he's got some gifts. Identifies some potential in this man. So what he does is he kind of takes him under his wing at his pro, as his protege. And Timothy starts to go on missionary journeys with Paul. And so you see him throughout Acts. You know, he takes a letter to the, to the church in Corinth. And he does this over here. And he, he kind of is doing all these things for the Apostle Paul. And he does that for about 10 years. Right? He, he kind of w- walks with Paul for 10 years. Eventually what happens, the Apostle Paul in 62 AD, or 60 to 62 AD, is arrested in Jerusalem. He's arrested in Jerusalem. He's in Rome, where he's in prison in Rome. And he writes a couple letters from there, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, right? And guess who's with him in Rome? Good old Timothy. And he stays there until 62 AD. In 62 AD, he's released and then they go and do a bunch of other little stuff that we don't have specifics. But Paul goes to, to Spain and they revisit Ephesus and they revisit all these other churches. Here's what's going on in this book. All right. Here, here's, that kind of plays all into this book. So Paul and Timothy in between 62 and 66 AD because he gets rearrested in 66. They do all these things. They, at some point they go to Ephesus. And there's a church in Ephesus. And so Paul is leading the church in Ephesus. All of a sudden Paul has to... And Timothy now is in charge of kind of pastoring that church. Now, he got him when he was about 16. We're talking about 15 years later. So Timothy's like 30 years old now. He's a young buck, right? He's a young dude. He's staring at this, like, church, this new church that, that he has to lead in Ephesus. Now, let me tell you about Ephesus. I told you a few weeks ago, but let me remind you. Okay, Ephesus is a city on the, on the coast. It is a, it's, it think, when you think Ephesus, think New York City. It was the third largest city in the world at this time. So it's a massive city, huge influence, huge port city. All right, here's the Roman Empire, obviously, up in Rome. Paul has to leave Ephesus, go to Macedonia. Sweet Timothy's sitting here. Now, this is like stadium seats 25,000 people. That's big for back then. I mean, that's Super Bowl, right? That's, that's University of Tennessee big, right? I mean, ma- big time, you know, everyone comes to hear, and the acoustics are so good, you can stand out at the bottom and everyone can hear you. It's a huge entertainment center. New York City. Think of New York City, right? It's a huge education center. They have a library that's still there. You can see it. It held, at the, in its day, t- over 12,000 scrolls. So you've got a city that's, that's entertainment-driven. You've got a city that's hugely educated. And then here's a model of the ruins of, of the Temple of Diana or Artemis. This is what they think it looked like. You can, there's still some pillars standing. But this, this is an impressive structure. Diana slash Artemis was the, the goddess of love, the goddess of fertility. What do you think was going on in the temple? It was Mardi Gras. It was what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. Okay, so here, big picture now. You got mega city, third largest city in the world, hugely educated population, hugely entertainment driven, very open minded. Anything goes, anything here. And here, you put old country boy Timothy. Timothy from Bloomingdale, Georgia, in the middle of New York City. And he's fine when the old Apostle Paul's there, but all of a sudden the Apostle Paul is gone, and now little Timothy's sitting here looking at all these people, and they're like, now who are you again? Who are you, youngster? And Timothy is in the deep end of the pool. He's not in Kansas anymore. And so this letter is Paul's, like, encouragement to old boy. 
like, okay, just take a breath. I know you're, I, I know you, you feel over your head. He's gonna, you're gonna see things like this. Like, uh, we haven't received the spirit of fear because apparently Timothy had some confidence issues and he was young and he's a little timid. And so you, see, you haven't received a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And fight the good fight, Timothy. And remember the prophecies made about you, Timothy. Right? He's constantly encouraging him. It's like, you can do this, Timothy. Here's the key verse. Here's where we named it. Here's what's going on. Chapter 3. He tells him why he wrote the book in the first place. I hope to come to you soon. Timothy's like, yes, please come back. Please come back. But I'm writing these things that said if I delay... Here it is. You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. We are the household of God. He's just writing this letter. Timothy, here, all you got to do is teach people this. How, how do we act in the family of God? Don't worry about anything else. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the house rules. All right? The church of the living God, we're a pillar, we're a buttress of the truth. Here is how we live in the household of God. Here's the house rules. That is his point. All right, because Timothy's overwhelmed. Timothy doesn't know if he can do it. It's his fatherly letter, and it's the most practical, I think, of Paul, all of Paul's letters. It's not super deep. It's super practical, which is great for us as we move forward in being the church. And so he's just saying, hey, here it is. Here's what we're going to be. All right? So that is what's going on. All right? Big picture. Young guy in the deep end. Right, Paul's gone. Super challenging. Super kind of scared. But Paul's just encouraging him, hey, just teach him this. Teach him what to be. Teach him who the church is. Here we go. All right? So verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, that's where Paul is now, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And already three verses in, it's on. Poor old Timothy. All right? Paul has to leave. We have no clue why. There's, but he clearly knows that he's leaving a little bit of a hornet's nest, right? He knows, because he said, I had to urge you. I urge you. You know, you're Timothy, you were like, oh, I want to go with you, Paul. Don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. He's like, no, you need to stay. And what you need to do, Timothy, is you need to go and stop these knuckleheads from teaching different doctrine. Because apparently there's some influential guys, and maybe they think they're so smart, or maybe they think they're whatever, that they're teaching different doctrine than the apostle. He says, you got to move into that, and you got to stop it. And you got to stop it now. And little Timothy is like, I want my mom. Because that's, that's not his nature. And this, let me just tell you, a lot of people think, I want to go into the ministry. I want to be in the pastorate. I want to do all these things. Because people, you know, they give you a nice Christmas presents and they tell you how great they are. No. <laughs> this is more like the ministry. Right? This is the challenge and the weight that poor old Timothy is feeling, the heaviness. Because when you are in this role, this is the challenge of this job, you are going to have to go to people at times and say, you can't do this anymore. You're going to tell them the things they don't want to hear. You're going to tell them things they don't want to do. And then you're going to see how they respond. And that is hugely weighing on this young man, Right? So Paul's saying, you got to move in and do this. No big deal for Paul. Paul does this all the time. Paul just likes it. I think Paul's like MMA fighter in the first century, right? He likes to scrap. But Timothy's like, more like me. He's like, I don't like to scrap. But you got to do it. And we got to do it. Because here's the thing. And, and some of you know this, and some of you are kind of like, you're kind of new to the faith, or you're maybe searching, whatever. 
Christians believe some of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. I'm just telling you. I mean, highly educated. Even now. I'm like, I mean, there's stuff out there. Angel dust, gold dust, whatever. I mean, that's like a big thing. Angel feathers. Does that now sound dumb to you? That's like a thing. I mean, I even put buckets in the ceiling of feathers. Oh, look, the angels are here. I mean, that's prosperity gospel. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. Really? We got, eventually someone's going to die. Rich? Jesus was poor. Paul, poor. Peter, poor. John, poor. All of them died poor. And God wants me to be rich? That only works when you're on a certain channel, on a certain TV, flying your certain Gulf Stream. Right? It's, it's ridiculous. Like a deep mysticism, a deeper this, well, yeah, and this. Kind of an uber spirituality that you can't ever really put your finger on, but it's like super spiritual. Or a, a methodology that this is the way we do things. This is how you parent. This is how you do it. Blah, 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 blah. A couple years back, probably, I think it was late 80s, maybe early 90s, there was a, a book written called Baby Wise that was like this hit. Get your kid to sleep. But what had happened was all the people that kind of bought into it, it became like a cult inside of a church. And if you didn't do this, you were this. And it's this, this methodology. And, and it actually, that man was actually disciplined by his church and had to leave that wrote that book because it became so divisive. Right? Wacky, weird stuff. And, and, and every church has it. It's, it's there and it's here. Bible code. You see this, oh, your rapture's going to happen because if you spell the word Jesus backwards in Aramaic, it e equals Hebrew this and this and this and pig Latin. I mean, and it's all these weird things. Right? Their weird flavor seems to be some kind of some Jewish mysticism. He says they shouldn't devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. You add up this genealogy plus this genealogy, then you get the date Jesus. All these weird things. And it's rooted in the, in the Old Testament law we're going to see. And he says the problem with it is what is the fruit of it? What happens with it? It promotes speculation. The fruit of their teaching just means in the law we're going to see. And they're saying, okay, if you do this, God likes you. And, if, and if, since I do this, God likes me. But because they don't do this, God doesn't like them. And that means that I don't like them because God doesn't like them. And they got all these rules and what it means to be a good Christian and what about, and they're abusing the law. And notice they're, they're going to take the Bible and they're going to twist it to, to basically control. And he says the fruit of that is speculation. And it's not what? Stewardship from God that is by faith. What is the fruit of what they're doing? Confusion. What is the fruit of what we want? We want stewardship. One translation says that it, it doesn't. They have teaching that does not help people live a life in faith from God. That's the idea. Garbage in reality. That's what Paul's saying. And so what we have to do every so often as a church, and this is hugely helpful for us, is evaluate what's going out. What kind of fruit are we producing as a church? Right? I mean, so if we got a bunch of high school students, when they leave the home and they all think, you know, if I keep the rules and I do good things and I do all these things, then God will like me and, I, and whatever. If, if that's what we got going out, then we got issues. Right? If we have a bunch of people that are young adults that have been here for a while and we've been teaching and they're shacking up and they're getting blitzed, turnt, loaded, sloshed, use your term, I don't know, 80s was sloshed on the weekends... And, and, and disregarding sin. we got a bunch of people who are mean employers, lousy employees. What kind of fruit is that? we got a bunch of parents 
that are yelling at the referees for their eight-year-old t-ball team, we got some issues, right? We got folks that are always depressed or always in bondage or always joyless or seem to have no purpose. That, then that's a result of the teaching in. So it's a, what are we producing? We got to ask that question. And what they're producing is division and speculation and questions and more questions and more questions. And here's what Paul says. Here's the goal. This is the most important verse in, the, in this first section in 1 through 11. Verse 5. Look what he says. The aim of our charge, the apostolic charge, me and you, Timothy, the goal of the church, and, and the word charge there could be teaching. The goal of our teaching is what? Is love. That's the goal. That is the target I'm shooting at, Timothy. Maturity for me is a loving church. What are they looking for? I don't even know. The result of their teaching, division. The result of our teaching, love. The result of their teaching, guiltiness and arrogance and fighting. Ours, love. And here's rule number one for us. All right? I told you every week there's one rule. Rule number one for CBC. House rules if we're going to be the church. Does it go up there? Yeah. Truth that produces love. I could say truth. And truth is good. And we believe in truth. But truth in by itself that doesn't produce anything is not the goal that we want. Paul doesn't say the aim of our charge is to just charge. The aim of our charge, the goal is the love. That there is, and not just some you know, mansy pansy like kind of manipulated love. Love that comes from what? A sincere heart. A pure faith. It is an inside out thing. It is not an outside in. It's not I control it. I can kind of manifest it myself. It is a changed heart where God from the inside makes me more like Jesus. And it's the result is truth. We are going to expose ourselves on Sundays and also elsewhere to truth. But not just for truth's sake. Not as an ends of itself. This is a means to an end. The, 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 the reason we come to the scripture is so that we know God. We don't worship this. We believe in it. We believe it's holy. We believe it's true. But we do not worship this. We worship the God who has revealed himself primarily through this. And, and, and this is so we know his heart. And he can, he can shepherd us and he can lead us and he can direct us. If, we just, oh, if it's just truth for truth's sake, then, then who cares? If it's not moving us. The Pharisees study this more than you will ever study it, I promise you. They memorized the Old Testament. And Jesus told them, and John, he says, you guys search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. And these testify of me. It's me. They speak of me. This is so we know the heart of God and that we know him and walk with him. Right? That's the goal. And so we are going to place ourselves under the truth. And sometimes in that moment, am I going to change the truth or am I going to change my direction? That's on you, right? That's, that's our spec. That's the S that we submit ourselves to the scripture. When God says you're not lining up, we conform. And there's going to be times when you just need to be affirmed, when you're just to be reminded and exposed to the fact that, that God is a God of hope and love and that we have to have hope in something beyond because just like our brother who woke up yesterday planning to play tennis, he was supposed to be teaching right now in that classroom upstairs. 
he was supposed to be teaching right now. And that was his intent. And he's in eternity. Right? And so we need hope to be in curriculum. Just so you know, we didn't just kind of throw together, oh, let's do this curriculum. So many kids' curriculums are trash, y'all. They teach moralism, be good, be nice. If you're good and nice, then God likes you. We want nothing of that. So we chose a curriculum that teaches about who Jesus is and what he has done so we can expose our kids to the truth so they can put confidence in him, not in be good, be nice. So that the fruit of that eventually is not morality, it's maturity, right? And so we're very just purposeful in that. So these guys are missing it. Verse 6. Certain persons, I love that by the way. I wish Paul though would call people out more. And you know old Joe. What if I did that like, hey, David, David, David's a bad guy, y'all. He's right now, he's not, he's really good. But you know, David, he's got a gambling issue, everybody. Let's just that's a, that's what you want him to do, so he calls him out, right? But what, what's really going on is he's just kind of like broad stroking. He's gonna call him later. He's gonna call him out later. We said certain people, you know who they are, they've swerved, they've wandered. Think, that's a, isn't that a great image for those? You, you've driven. You've, you've swerved. You know, you, you're texting and you shouldn't be. You cross the line. Somebody honks. You almost hit them. You're like, whoa. So that's what they've done. They've swerved. They wandered into vain discussion. They, they want to be make confident assertions. Notice they're using the Bible. They're taking the Old Testament law and they're just getting into arguments. Well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And all these mystical genealogy, right? And they're going to come up with all these different rules. And we'll see them in chapter 4. Rules like, don't eat that. That's not holy. Right? Look, if someone comes to you and says, as a Christian, you really shouldn't eat X and Y. You know what you say? Acts 10, baby. Kill and eat. Right? <laughs> Pastor Bill says, kill and eat. I'm eating it. I mean, I'll, don't eat roadkill or something dumb like that. But I mean... If they're like, you know, that's really high in cholesterol, amen. This is my earthly temple. I'm even going to, you know, I'm, I'm all for exercise and stuff. Don't let glory, right? And, and if you don't like steak, that's fine. You, you, you know, you can live a miserable existence eating your vegan stuff. I don't care. Just kidding. I know we got lots of y'all vegans here. So we love y'all too. You're just missing out. Eat you a tasty cake to the glory of God. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a, a wine person, you know, and, you, and you're not, not drunk in this, but you like a good glass of wine, I don't. Drink it to the glory of God. But the, these people are coming up with rules and saying, you cannot do this, you can't. They're even saying, you can't get married. You can't get married. Right? They're trying to control, and they're using the Bible. And, and know this, people use the Bible to try to control and twist. And, and, and it happens all the time. That's why we need truth. We need people, we need different people saying, hey, that's true, that's not true. This is what scripture says. We need to expose ourselves to that, right? And so Paul says they're missing it and they want to be teachers and they want you to like them. They want you to think they're so great, but they are misusing the law. And this is how. He said, we know that the law is good. It's not that the Old Testament is bad. It's not the Ten Commandments are bad. He says, it's, yeah, they have to be used lawfully though. Understand this, the law was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. Law is not for holy people, it's for sinners. And he gives all sorts of examples. Ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, that's people who used to go and grab people and bring them into slavery. Okay, we know all about that. If people say, oh, the Bible says it's okay. Really? Right here he says it's sin. 
liars. We know that's sin. Perjurers. And whatever else is contrary. It says these things are sin. All right? The law is clear. But here's the problem. The law was never meant to make you righteous. It was to show you you weren't. How do I know that coveting is wrong? Because the law told me. That's what Paul says. Oh, okay. The law says it's wrong. It's sin. It was never meant to make you holy. It was never expected that you could keep it. If you could keep it, you would have kept it. But you couldn't. The law, Paul says, is a tutor. It, it takes you to school to get you to a Messiah that could keep it. It was to show you, I'm a, I missed the mark. Here, 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 here. I can never do this. That is right. You need a Messiah. You need a Savior. And guess what? He did keep it. These guys are using the law like the Kroger card. You know the little Kroger card you take? And what do you do? Oh, look. I get, use my, I get my bonus points, you know? You know, 10 cents off this, 10 cents. And at the end, you build up enough points. What happens? You go get gas and you get 10 cents off. Yay! Go to church, Kroger card. Go give my tithe, Kroger card. Read my Bible, Kroger card. Don't do this, Kroger card. Don't do that, Kroger Yay! Now you get rewarded with your, with your 10 cents off your gas. That's the way they saw the spiritual life. Do, 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 don't, don't, don't. Rules, rules, rules. This, this, this makes God like you. God doesn't like you now. God, and it's, it doesn't do anything for stewardship. It has everything for, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Speculation. Well, that's sin. No, it's not. We like this. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Yet every human religious system in the world, this is their model. Every single one. All the isms, Muslims, ism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Whatever you want, it's all about what you can do to get yourself to God so that he accepts you. Every, I don't care what you, whatever the faith, it's every single one. The only one that is different is, is Christianity, which says you, know, you can't do anything, so God had to come down and do it for you. It's the only one where God does it all, and you simply receive by faith. Right? And so Paul says, you think this is helping. They think this is making them good. They think it's producing something, and it's not producing what they think it's going to produce. It's just not. It's going to produce speculation. It's going to produce division, but not love. So he says, Timothy, I know it's challenging for you, Bubba. I know you're a country boy from Bloomingdale in New York City, but you've got to stop it. You've got to stop it. Right? And so that's the encouragement. We need truth. Truth that produces love. Let me, let me give you some questions. We're going to, again, we respond with worship. I, I want to give you some questions to be thinking about this. Because we, you know, most of you are in, in church because you really, ah, oh, truth is important to me. But I want to give us some thoughtful questions that don't just answer them now. Answer them through the week. Answer them in your community groups. Because this is, the, we want to constantly be bringing this this back to ourselves, right? Here, here's the first question. What I mean by that is, do you see it as law or do you see it as gospel? For the first 22 years of my life, I saw everything as law. I grew up in a church, a little bit different than this one, but I grew up in a church. I was exposed to truth, but I saw God as this God who said, here's the rules, keep the rules, and if you keep the rules, I'll put up with you, and if you don't, you better watch out. And so I constantly lived in fear. I can remember as an 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old, constantly inviting Jesus into my heart, like every night on my pillow, just in case last night's prayer didn't stick. So, man, I better do it again, just in case. That was fear, y'all. 
And by the time I get to be in my teens, I didn't want anything to do with that because I didn't want fear. I didn't want rules. I, they didn't appeal to me. It was in, not until I graduated from college that I understood, no, it's, it's not that. It's not a God who's constantly angry, who's constantly looking for you to just step out of line and he's going to boop. It's not the God of the Scriptures. The only law Christian that you have, you want to know that really the only law, the half-brother of Jesus, James, and his letter, he, he, he calls it the law of liberty. He calls it the royal law. You know, the only law we have is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law, according to Jesus, in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself, which is like four words, so, you know. But he can't count. He's a Pharisee. But the idea is one idea. The whole law, one idea. Love your neighbor. He later says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. And, and, and we can talk about love all day long, but this kind of love that the church is supposed to manifest, that's the fruit of the Spirit, can only happen when you have first experienced the love of God in the gospel. It's not something you can manipulate. It's not something you can control. It is an internal thing that God has changed your heart because you've experienced his unconditional love in the gospel that he died for you despite the fact that you were a sinner. And now I am new and I have a new heart and I don't get it, but I kind of like people now. And I care about things I didn't used to care about. It can't, that's the only way it can happen. That's what we're looking for. A love that starts internally from a sincere faith and a pure heart, and then it manifests itself out. Not when I'm trying to earn it, be good, be good, be good. Right? Now, that, that doesn't mean, just because you hear me say that the only law is the law of love, does not mean that God doesn't say, don't do this, do this. Because there are specific places in the Bible that God says, this is not good, this is good. But understand this, it's all because of perspective. It's because he is a good father who loves his children and he wants to protect and direct. Teenagers, just, just listen, to, listen to your pastor here, just for a minute. When your parents tell you, don't eat the Tide Pods, <laughs> they're not trying to steal your joy. Now certainly... We would love to wash some of y'all's mouth out with soap. Okay? Lord knows you need it. But it's be we're telling you don't eat the Tide Pods because we don't want you to die. Do you understand that? I don't care if you want to get on a meme on Facebook. Great. You're just going to end up on someone's Finsta anyway. All right? We're trying to protect you because we love you. God, when he directs you, is not trying to steal your joy. He's trying to protect his kids. And every single thing on this list, down the line, sexual immorality, homosexuality, enslavers, liars, these, these are enslaving. They're not freeing. They're not freeing. Right? Honoring your parents. God is telling you this because he, he, he wants you to make the most. He says, he's teenagers, he says, honor your parents. Honor your father and your mother. Why? Because it's going to go well within your land. If you can learn to put yourself under the authority of these two people who are sinful and broken just like you are, guess what? It's going to be a lot easier for you to go work for a boss 10 years from now. It's going to be a lot easier for you to be a, uh, under a colonel, to, to lead people when you understand authority. 
And you are going to be amazed, 16-year-olds, how smart your parents all of a sudden got when you turned 26. You're going to be like, oh my goodness, you guys were geniuses. Did you guys go to school in the last 10 years? Because you guys are so smart. You told me I shouldn't have been dating that guy. Now he's in prison. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I mean, and, or, you know, I tell my daughter, marry the nerd. Don't marry the jock. You end up with a guy like me. Marry the nerd, and you're gonna, he'll be a doctor. It's just my, it's not biblical, it's just good, right? <laughs> I'm looking for someone to take care of me, and I'm older, and this is not okay. Right? She'll think I'm wise in 10 years. Right? But understand, it, it, God singles. God is not saying, stay pure, because I don't want you to enjoy, enjoy physical intimacy. God created the daggum thing. He wants you to enjoy it to his glory, but he knows it's, it's safe only in the context of covenant. It's protected there. He's not trying to steal your joy. He's for your joy. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the one who sent his son to die for you so he could have eternity with you? Or are you going to believe the devil, the adversary, the liar who wants to destroy you? You tell me. Which one are you going to believe? Your father loves you and wants to guide you. And so when you find your life is, is contrary to the truth, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to work through things. And, and, and when your life is going this way and God says, no, no, I want you this way, this is what we do. We call, it's called repentance. We confess, we repent, and we turn. And we say, God, you're right. I know you're right. You delight in me delighting in you. You want to use me. You want my life to matter for you. You want me to have joy in it. I'll find joy here, not here. I'm not going to find it in some functional savior, some pill, in a bottle, in a relationship, spending money, gambling, whatever it is. I'm going to find it in you. Okay, so some of you need a change of perspective and get away from your law and find the, 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 the law of gospel, which is freedom. The truth is meant to set us free, right? And we just want to be a people that welcome it. Here's the second question. What, um, did you go up there? Yeah. How is truth making you more loving? Because if your truth that you cling to is not making you more loving, then I would question whether you're believing the right truth or if you really believe the truth. I don't care how long your quiet times are. I don't care how much Bible you've memorized or how many verses you put on your Facebook. If the truth is not transforming you into a more compassionate, loving person, then have you really grasped it? I mean, if you're still fighting over minor issues, theological, political, whatever it is, if you're still holding a grudge, if you're still not forgiving, I mean, if you hear about that person, it's like, well, I heard they don't like you. Did you hear what they're saying about you? And you're like, well, they just need to come to me because I already done my part and I'm not going to do anything. I'm not moving. They better come to me. If they have a problem with me, they're going to talk to me. If that's you, where's the love? Because what love does is it moves towards the person. Right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Joe's offended? He thinks, oh, man, I'm going to go to Joe. I've got to talk to Joe. See, that's love. Right, that, that's, and when we talk love, we're talking about very simply, there's a lot of words for love in the, in the Bible, but the biggest idea is love seeks the best of the other person, not myself. So God loved us, he sought the best for us in that he gave us his son. So you move towards that. If you're like Mr. Angry Guy on Facebook or whatever, it's all, the world is so bad and politics is so bad and the White House is so bad and this is so bad and this, and you're just mad and mad. And the more sin you see, the more mad you get and angry and it turns you into, oh, I just wish God would judge them all. 
if that is you, understand when Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he's about to get crucified and these people are, are, are going to turn on him, his response is he weeps over Jerusalem and over their rejection. And he says, oh, I long for you to, to know that the time that you had, I'm here and I've been, you don't know it. See, that's the heart of, of the Messiah. And so if you find yourself angrier and angrier, man, if you're, look, I don't care what your political deal is. So just hear me now. I'm not, I don't do much politics. But if you have no compassion for the refugee and the orphan and the immigrant, and I don't care what your political deal is, but if you are so incompassionate that you could care less, then you, that's even Old Testament, y'all. God cares about the, the, the immigrant and the refugee in the Old Testament, let alone in the New. So if you're harsh in that, in that debate, whatever you want to call, it's not the gospel. Right? It's not the gospel. And as a huge family, we got a huge family here. You don't have to agree with everybody. You're never going to agree. I can't agree with my wife on everything, for goodness sakes, let alone all y'all. So you certainly are never going to agree but you don't have to be unloving, and you certainly don't have to be mean. Even this list, I mean, let me just tell you, this list that he lists, these are sin. There is no debate about it. Everything he lists is sinful. It is opposed to God. I don't care what you hear on some other preacher, some other TV, some book. These things are sin. Parent, when, when a kid strike their parents, sin. Murder, sin. Sexual immorality, that's any kind of sex outside of the context of one woman and one man marriage. That is sin. Homosexuality, sin. Enslavers, sin, lying. These are sinful things. God is clear. But that doesn't mean that I have to be mean to these people and like try to jam my truth down their throat because the reality is I can't change anybody. I can't even get my dog to listen to me. And I cannot change the heart of man. What I can do is lovingly share the truth of God and I am going to trust that he is going to change people. Right? Because you can, you can have the truth, and it can be presented in a way that they don't even hear your truth. Because you are so unconsiderate. Or maybe your life is so contrary to the truth that why should they believe you're, you're God anyway? Because all you do is yell at your employees. And all you do is cuss at your, your kids. And all you do is let the, let, light the ref up every time you go to an eight-year-old baseball game. Actually, ump. Basketball game. Whatever. The point is this. If your truth is not changing into a more loving person, then maybe you don't get it, right? Um, if you're more bitter and angry, maybe you don't get it. So what's one thing you can do this week? Just practically speaking. Seeking the best in others. What is one thing? Maybe today it's, hey man, we had a single mom as our waitress. We're going to give her 50% tip, not 15, right? Seeking her best. She certainly could use it more than you. What is that one thing that your spouse does that just annoys you? And you know what it is, the way they drive, right? The toothpaste cap, I swear I don't know where those things go in our house, right? The, the bed being made, the shoes in the floor, the air conditioner every time you go turn it. What is that one thing that drives you nuts? Here's what love would look like. Letting it go this week. Let it go. Let it go. Would, could you let it go? The way your husband drives, ladies, could you let it go? Could you let whatever that thing that she does, that you're like, oh, 
Your kids, teenagers, your parents want you to give them a hug when they can. Oh, when we get a hug, let it go. Well, I mean, whatever it is, your sibling, he leaves the Legos on the floor and you, ah, Legos are like demons in the house. And, let it go. Seek the best in others. Forgive. Maybe you know someone has something against you. The most loving thing is you can go to them and say, hey, I know you, for some reason I feel like we're not good. Are we good? Man, that would be the most loving thing you could do. Or you know someone's struggling. And here's what the church does so poorly. When people are struggling and they don't know what to do, what do they do? They hide. Have you ever done that? You're suffering, you're struggling, you're depressed, you know it, and everybody else knows it, and no one comes near you. You know why? Because we're scared, because we don't have the answer. You don't have to have the answer. I sat in a hospital room with a community group yesterday and his, and his team, and I saw the love of the gospel, and they had no answers. How do you have answers for a guy, and it's 20 years from when he should be going home? You don't have answers. You're just there, and you pray, and you cry, and you hug. And, and when there's questions answered, you say, I don't know, but we'll do it together. That's the most loving thing you could do if you know someone's struggling. Or maybe your roommate is about to wreck her life because she's dating that guy that you know is going to be in jail when he's 26. And the most loving thing you could do would be like, sweetie, come on. Because you know he's no good for you. He's not even a Christian. Right? You know, as a body, you need, that's what we do. Most loving thing you do? I don't know. Maybe for you husbands or wives, maybe, if you're out working, and, and yes, it might be good for you to stay late this, night, this Thursday night again for this meeting or this, but it would not be good for your family. So what is better for your family than your career is to come home and say no to that meeting. That might be the most loving thing you could do this week. Thousands of applications, but we're looking to be the church, right? And then the last question, I know I'm going long, sorry, is this, and maybe this is pushed by what happened this week, but where is your community Here's a question to ask yourself. If that was you on the tennis courts yesterday, all right, who would be the first people at the hospital? Who's the one that beats me? Because I got there an hour later. David was there a little bit before me. Who beats the pastor to the hospital? And if you're like, I don't know, then you don't have the community you need. I'm just telling you. Because you need, when, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he doesn't say, love yourself as yourself. Church is a family. It is not an individual deal. And it's more about who we are than what we do. And, and doing it together. Life together. And if you don't have that, those people that, man, that weep with you when you weep and celebrate your daughter's wedding, and then you're missing the point. And we want to help you get plugged into those things if you'll let us. But that's the only way we can be the church. That's the only way we can live these things out. You need truth. You need to hear truth. But you need a place so you can live out truth. You need a both. And you need someone to say, hey, you're not living out the truth because your wife's been telling me that you're a knucklehead. And so let's get together and let's talk about it. You need all that. And so that's what the body is. We want to be the church. To do it, rule number one, we need truth, but truth that produces love. All right? Let's worship. Let's stand. Let's reflect on these things. And let's see God move in our midst. Father, I pray that as we sing, as we worship, you would be just moving in our souls, moving in our hearts, and you would take the truth of your word and you would apply it to our hearts so that we are bearing your fruit, that we are living your gospel, that which is in accordance with the glories of the gospel. Make this a place 
even though there's a lot of people here that's a family, make it a place where you are loved and we all are loved. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.